0: This is Research Software Engineer Stories, coming straight at you from U.S. RSC, the U.S. Research Software Engineer Association. Welcome to RSC Stories. Today, I'm joined by Tanya Allard, a Senior Developer Advocate at Microsoft who cares a lot about research software, data engineering, and open source development. And I think CARES is probably an understatement. Tanya, you are exuding passion for everything from reproducible research to machine learning. And we're really grateful to have you on RSC Stories today.
1: Oh, no, thank you for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. I've been listening to some of the episodes, and I've had a lot of fun just listening to all the RSCs and folks from pretty much everywhere.
0: Awesome. So before we jump into some of your work, I want to hear your story. Can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you wound up in your role today? I'm going to say my
1: path to where I am now is not a direct one, and I would say it's not probably a traditional one either. So I come from a research background. I did mechatronics engineering as my bachelor's degree. So I'm an engineer from formation, and then I got very interested into all things that is like computational modeling of just like different things, so much that I ended up doing a PhD in computational modeling. Of biomaterials and that's when i got really into like all these things about data machine learning my phd was all about optimization like optimization was day in and day out for my phd but it also had an experimental component because the goal of my phd was finding materials that could be good candidates for tissue replacement And that's when I realized that I actually enjoyed doing the computational side of things more than the experimental one. I was also kind of always the weird one in my lab. My primary group was in material science. So everyone was very experimental, laboratory-based, and my work was very numerical. So I was working also closely with folks in mathematics faculty at the University of Manchester. Yeah. And then just... As I was doing my PhD, actually, and I think I've mentioned this a lot, I accumulated a lot of frustrations around the lack of openness, at least in my research area. I was getting very frustrated because other folks were doing a lot of modeling. But none of their data, none of their code, nothing was available. So it's like, well, I read all of your papers. I see that you're developing software. I need to build on some of this hypothesis and like previous research. But how could I verify that you did what you did? What well, to you re- say that you, re- you did? I can't access the data. I so think like all of these frustrations and me trying to like raise awareness in my lab that we had to have offboarding mechanisms so that folks can come and build on what we're doing that we had to get better at data management. I don't know if I want to go through the traditional academic path, and I pretty much by chance basically because I was having some issues with my code, I found that there was a research software engineering group at. Manchester, and I just got some help by Gerard, one of the folks that was working there at the time. And we just got talking about what he did, what the research software engineering thing was about. And it just so sounded like something that I wanted to do. That sounded so much like the part I enjoyed from research. So I just started looking everywhere. I was trying to find more about this people calling themselves research software engineers. It was very early back then. so. There weren't that many groups or roles knocking on about. I found the first research software engineering conference being organized. So straight away, I went and signed up for volunteering. I found a job posting at the University of Sheffield. I applied and I was like so lucky to get the job and that's how basically I jumped into going from academia into R C, and then carried on doing that, moved into industry and eventually I landed in Microsoft and I think a big component is because I've been doing community stuff for so long as part of the R C community but also more like open source communities like the Python and R community. I am very, very invested also in all things, scientific computing, so with all this PyPy Pi and PyData Pi communities. So, my technical background as well as my community leadership, I'm going to say background, was like the perfect combination for me to get into developer advocacy. But still, within developer advocacy, my role is a bit non traditional, I would say, because I focus so much on working with researchers, working with scientific computing, working with the research software engineering community, which have traditionally been underserved by big companies like Microsoft, Google, AWS.
0: Yeah, basically, that's all my career path. (laughs) When you say you were the weird one, it wasn't just the kind of work, but you also had these fundamental differences about best practices for open science. When you look back, why do you think that the attitude of your lab was more closed? Was it cultural or something else? I think it was mostly cultural. I don't think material science has
1: or had then that reputation of being an open first kind of community. And I think also because it was very, very experimental, like data and software was always like second or third class citizen. Whereas for me, it was a fundamental part of what I was doing for my research. So I very early understood that if my code is wrong, if my code is not open, if my data is not open, how can other folks Verify or or build on what I'm doing. So I think that that was what always made my research a bit off within my lab within the whole material science department at that time.
0: So can you tell us more about developer advocacy and if you see that your work is sort of directly battling this closed off culture?
1: Developer advocacy is, as its name suggests, being mostly an advocate of your community or your user group. So just advocating on behalf of them to your company. So a lot of my work is understanding what, for example, RSEs are doing, what researchers are doing, and what are the blockers that are currently facing. So I work very closely with our engineering teams in order to drive maps, create new features. And it's been a very, very interesting ride because a traditionally developer advocacy has focused a lot on what we call developer professionals. So it's much more like folks that work in industries based settings, let's say, or like corporation based settings or even startups. So researchers are always, or research software engineers, are kind of a different world. Very few people understand the nuances and the problems that this folk. Until I joined, for example, we didn't have proper advocacy strategy for us to build meaningful engagements or relationships with these kind of communities but also Microsoft has been working a lot in the open source ecosystem. It has completely changed the way Microsoft approaches the whole open source world, the support it provides to communities and open source frameworks and open source infrastructure. This was probably the best time for, for us to start integrating or broadening the open umbrella and expanding more towards open research, open science, like
0: basically all of the open ecosystem. Given that there's like so many things that we both care about and we could work together on, what's maybe just one example of something that you've interacted with with the US RSC or actually UK RSC or any, any RSC community? Well, I work a lot with the RSC community, but probably as
1: part of Microsoft. One thing that I started working on last year was organizing like unconferences or hackathons for and with their research software engineering community. And one of the goals was understanding, again, like understanding what tools and what workflows or frameworks are missing and how we can better support them. So we run hackathons around like, migrating workloads to the cloud. When GitHub Actions became widely available, we also did hackathons around continuous integration and continuous delivery for our research. Everything came to a halt this year because of COVID and a lot of things just like changed everywhere. But we are revamping these hackathons I think it brought a lot of value. So we're expanding them. We're going to be rebumping them as well as building another community that will bring a bit more direct links between the RC community and the folks at MSR, that is Microsoft Research, and, and our engineering teams as well.
0: Awesome. So something that might be a common topic for some of your hackathons and something that I see as a common theme in a lot of your projects and work is Python. Can you tell us what you love about Python and how you're involved with the community?
1: Oh, I absolutely love Python. I think one of the reasons why I like Python so much is because when I started diving into the world of Python, it was like the first community of practice that I felt like I belonged to. I don't come from a computer science background. I was not working as a professional software developer, but I never felt like that didn't make me belong to the community. There was always someone that was using Python in a different way to mine. And that Python is so varied. And I think that's also what makes it so great. You can do anything pretty much with Python and on Python. It is such a nice language to learn. Now, the scientific computing ecosystem is very, very vast, and there are some really good libraries, and over the last few years, I've seen like massive explosion of libraries and frameworks that has facilitated a lot of the work that I currently do. I absolutely love the Python community, I've made some really, really good friends, and I always feel like they have my back. That's why I am so, so involved and engaged with with the Python community.
0: So I stumbled into something called mentored sprints. Can you tell us about that? I've always
1: been interested in, in helping others. I truly acknowledge that a lot of my career and a lot of like me being able to be where I am has come from me having access to mentors and me having access to sponsors. So I always try to find ways to give that back and help other folks to also find their place in the community. At least in the Python community and in like the whole PyCon, that is a different Python conferences world, it is very common to have the main conference and then after that having contribution spread. The problem with this is that for folks that are only getting started with open source or that have never contributed to open source because be many, many reasons, sometimes it's very hard to justify another three or four days of work to attend the sprint. It is also intimidating because that can also be like these opportunities where project maintainers or core developers get together and they talk about like very deep topics in the libraries or the frameworks. I decided to start organizing mentored sprints that don't necessarily need to be attached after a conference but can be run as a standalone event or during the main day of conferences, we moved to virtual sprints this this year. And the idea is having fully mentored contributions, having these folks that are either the maintainers or core developers or experienced contributors giving real-time mentorship to folks that have never had opportunity to to contribute to open source. And also one of the core principles of mentoring sprints is changing the perspective about coding being the most important contribution that you can make to open source. So whenever I work with projects, I work with the maintainers so that they can also bring a varied array of issues or tasks that folks can contribute to. Not just code. like probably working on a tutorial, testing new libraries, working on a new logo or a new design, or just having discussions about the direction of the project. And I found that having also this diversity of issues or or tasks that folks can work on also brings a broader diversity of folks that are interested in taking part in these sprints.
0: That is such an important point to make. There's kind of this common conception that oh, the code is the only thing that you must do to contribute. But really there's so many parts of development that are just really essential for the success of a project. I was just thinking as you were talking about Python and these sprints, didn't Guido just announce yesterday that he was joining Microsoft? So maybe
1: he can uh, get involved too. Yes, that, that would be so good. Yeah, he just joined Microsoft yesterday. And I know that for a very long time, he's been a very open advocate on diversifying, for example, the range of contributors to Python. He's a very good diversity advocate.
0: We've been talking about diversity inclusion a lot in USRC because it's something we want to work on too. For example, how could USRC get involved in these mentored sprints or just related events? I'm always open to
1: co-organizing mentor sprints with other organizations or projects. If that's something that you're interested in, just get in touch and we can just sort something out. I'm also now working on a mentor sprints package so that folks can just run their own mentor sprints and then just have like a set of guidelines or a checklist so that they can submit it and I can just distribute through our mailing list and so that folks can start using mentor sprints, meaning that it adheres to the principles, that it's following some of our guidelines and and code of conduct and such.
0: One thing that I really love about your work is that you seem to put so much care and attention into making everything from your code to the resources you develop just really beautiful and fun. So just to name a few things that I saw that fall nicely into this category, your tech bytes, even your code repositories on GitHub and your blog. Can you give us any tips for visual design or what motivates you or things you've learned over the years?
1: I am a bit ashamed of admitting this, but I spend a lot of time making things pretty and making things very visual. I am a very, very visual person. If things are colorful and have nice drawings or are like in a comic style thing, I learn better and I just enjoy it better. I always think about, people like me that are a bit more visual whenever I'm working on this. I've actually started taking graphic design classes now. I'm doing that separate to to my job because I want to get better at it. I've been low-key doing graphic design things for a few years now. I've also watched a lot of videos on how to make my slides better. Just like Think about accessibility, I like bright colors, so sometimes bright colors are not necessarily accessible, so I spend a lot of time also pretty much running all of my images and running my presentations and all the things that, that I did through tools that would simulate different kinds of color blindness to make sure that folks can read it. If there is something that I am gonna say, if you want to start doing more
0: digital or visual assets, typography can make or
1: break something.
0: I'm also very visual. I, I guess since I switched many years ago from Windows, I don't have as great software. So it became just kind of harder to make things. And I have to admit that a lot of my slides have kind of regressed to like, maybe I'll choose an okay font, but then like there's pictures of like cats and that sort of thing because it's easy and it usually gets a good audience reaction. But it really inspires me and I, it probably inspires others to go back and really do better because it, it really does stand out and it makes a huge difference, I think. Yeah,
1: everything I do, even for my personal organization, is very visual. All my calendar is like email filters, tags, even the comments I do, and all my repos are like color coded and emoji coded, because it also makes it easier. I I found like having all of these visual aids make it easier to have quick views of everything. And I think that permeates into
0: all of the work that I do,
1: the approaches that I follow like throughout all my work.
0: A more general question, how do you see the relationship between industry and academia? And is there anything that you'd like to change?
1: I would like to see this relationship getting a bit closer, strengthening. I know that there are a lot of folks that have careers where they're in academia for a while, then they jump to industry, then they go back to academia in a certain capacity or go back, like, I don't know, for a professorship or something but I think we could start strengthening the relationship. Something that I wanted to roll out for a very long time, and I've not had the chance or the capacity to do it, is solidifying some internship programs for RSEs within academia, even if it's PhD students that want to start getting a bit more of industrial field, like to make an informed decision whether they want to move into industry or stay in academia, or start doing more sequence between RSCs and industry. I think this would be very, very valuable. And just to get and learn more about the best practices or, or the way of working in both worlds. There is so many things that academia can learn from industry, but also a lot of things that industry can learn from academia. And I think that also by By strengthening this, the industry will better understand the needs and how research truly works and and put a bit more effort on making things better for researchers.
0: So what do you see as the greatest
1: challenges in your role? I would say the biggest challenge I personally face, and I, I know a lot of my colleagues face, is work overload. There is always so much work to do. We are constantly reached out by folks internally and externally to engage in different communities, events, working on product features, working on content. And I had to get better at saying no at things. I've always been very bad at that, so I've definitely had to get better at that. But also I've had to get better at balancing interests and needs from multiple stakeholders. And I think that is like a crucial part from my from role, uh, especially because I'm an advocate on behalf of my communities. Sometimes some of these needs and like some of these core fundamentals don't necessarily align with certain parts of the corporate world. So also like balancing this has proven to be quite challenging and has taken a lot of time to, to get right, I would say.
0: So in terms of open source, is that something that you have to do in your free time or are you able to kind of fit it into your role as well?
1: I am very, very lucky that in this role, a very big component is working in open source and with the open source community. I would like definitely to just work in open source, but that's very, very hard. I have so many other responsibilities, so many other projects. I I still feel bad because I say, oh, I'm going to do this, or I'm going to submit this pull request. And unfortunately, that sometimes just goes to the bottom of a very, very, very big pile of other things that I have
0: to do. Are there any open source projects that you want to give a shout out to that you especially love or you're proud of? I've always have been
1: the unofficial advocate of the project jupiter i absolutely love the jupiter ecosystem the jupiter community if you say that you want to get involved in open source and start contributing to open source it's probably one of the most welcoming places that you can look at and i truly appreciate that another open source project that i've been looking into a lot recently is DVC, that is data version control, especially because now they're released continuous machine learning that builds on the principles of machine learning ops or continuous integration, continuous delivery for machine learning or data science workloads. And that is an area that I am very, very interested in. If you're interested into all of those things, DVC and continuous machine learning are two amazing projects to dive into.
0: So we're coming up on time. I have just a few more questions when you're not working or programming or contributing to open source, uh, what do you like to do?
1: I like to do a lot of stuff. So as I said, now I'm doing some graphic design courses. So I'm spending a lot of time like just sketching, drawing, getting better at Procreate, I have a dog and I spend a lot of time playing with my dog, taking her out for walks. My partner and I are like craft beer snobs, So we're always trying to find new craft beers to try. Before COVID, we used to go to quite a few beer festivals. But this year we've had to do our two people festivals at home and read. I generally just like reading a lot. Basically any book that falls in my lap, I'll just try and find time to read.
0: And I think I read that you either still or used to compete as a weightlifter. Is that still true? And has it changed any because of COVID? I've been definitely
1: spending less time at the gym because of COVID. But also I've had some issues with my back. So I would say probably for the last year, I've not been doing as much weightlifting. I actually started doing this like calisthenics techniques and movement practice and it's so interesting. It's so completely different to weightlifting and I'm terrible but it's super super fun. It's just so nice to do new things, learn new skills and that's what I am at now.
0: Is there anything that I didn't ask you about or we didn't talk about that you'd like to mention?
1: One of the things that I am now very interested in is helping establish new RSC communities, I would say, outside the usual suspects that have been like Europe, US, Canada. And I really, really want to focus more on getting representation in the RSC community. Obviously, coming from Mexico, Latin America has a very special place in my heart. So again, if anyone wants to get started with an RSC community or in a place like this, feel free to reach out and I'll try my best to help. I think there has been like some talks, especially there was an RSC leaders meeting I'm gonna say in September, and there were some folks from Latin America and that made me so 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 happy and so excited to see the movement and, and the whole RSC thing is spreading to other places.
0: We can say it's one thing that's spreading this year that we actually want to spread. (laughs) Not that other COVID thing.
1: (laughs) Yeah, definitely.
0: So Tanya, it has been so wonderful to chat with you today. I absolutely love the work that you do, the color and life that you bring into it. And I'm so grateful that you've been able to chat with us today because I know you're super busy. You inspire me and I think you probably inspire a lot of people. So thank you so much for being on RSC Story. Oh,
1: no, thanks for the invite. It's been an absolute pleasure. And I'm sure I'm going to be listening to other episodes. Probably not this one because I don't like listening to my own voice once it's recorded, to be honest.
0: Oh, yeah. I totally hear you there. It's a struggle.